game Friday morning, presented by 105.3 The Fan. And just like that, we are off and running. It is NBC5 and 105.3 The Fan's big game Friday morning. Hi, everybody. Welcome to your football weekend. I am NBC5's Pat Doney, joined as always by my main man from 105.3 The Fan, We've got KG, Kevin Gray in the house. What's up, buddy? You ready for this weekend? Happy Friday morning to you. A big weekend of football in the great state of Texas, highlighted by those dirty birds from Atlanta visiting the Dallas Cowboys on Here Sunday afternoon. Here come the dirty birds. <laughs> and enough about the dirty birds. How about those frogs, Chris Blake? Just like you always thought. I mean, you never doubted them. I mean, I predicted it on this show last week. I think we can go back. I guaranteed <laughs> Check a win. Check the tape. Exactly yeah, right. I guaranteed that win over Baylor. I, you know, I don't remember that. I don't think that that I, was the I case. I don't think it was. <laughs> I think you didn't even want to talk about the game because it was going to be such a blowout. But uh, And just like we all expected, you know, the Dallas Cowboys get destroyed by the Denver Broncos. I mean, I think we all predicted that on the show last week, right? and that's kind of what we had in mind. Man, what, what a disappointing performance last week from Dallas. But, you know, the thing that I keep going back to, KG, over and over again is this is a Cowboys team that has Super Bowl aspirations, had won six games in a row, and my favorite stat that I found when I was doing a little research last night was that six of the last seven Super Bowl champions have lost a game by double digits in their championship season. So what that tells me is that even the good teams have bad weeks, but man, that was a bad week. I mean, that was about as bad a, a, look, a look as we've seen from this Cowboys team in a long time. Yeah, a bad day at the office, truly, for the Cowboys last Sunday. Denver came in and was more physical at the point of attack and really took it to the Dallas Cowboys. Dak Prescott, it seemed like, was off all day long. Even special teams plays that looked like were going to go the Cowboys way didn't go. The Cowboys way. I don't know about you guys, but I learned more about the NFL rulebook than I ever wanted to <laughs> last week based on that punt play. But everyone had a bad day at the office. Last week's weekend of action was really weird anyway across the NFL, and the Cowboys were not immune to that either. It continued into Thursday night, too, with the Miami Dolphins taking down the Baltimore Ravens, just as we all suspected there, too. Right. right. I mean, a, just a ton of losses, and, and it was strange to see – the Cowboys' offense struggled mightily. The Bills' offense was terrible. The Rams' offense really struggled. Again, Baltimore last night. Just one of those strange weeks in the NFL that makes the NFL so great because you do really never know what's going to happen week to week. But that was on full display last week. But really, it was the other side of the ball that I was most just caught off guard. I did not expect the Cowboys' defense to just get annihilated, especially in the running game, by the Denver Broncos' rushing attack. And Cowboys linebacker Micah Parsons addressed that talking about just what it felt like going into the locker room after Denver had just gashed that Cowboys defense over and over again. We just wasn't a, a sound defense as we was the first on a winning streak, but really it's a slap in the face. I mean, we emphasize on out-hitting people every every Sunday, and we got out-hit last Sunday, so uh, we want to make sure we come out and be some dominant people. Yeah. Uh, just a slap in the face is a right way to look to call it right now because they were dominated. And so here come the Atlanta Falcons, you know, a chance for the Cowboys to try to get back on track against a team that they're heavily favored against. And, you know, sometimes there's no such thing as a bad loss in the NFL, right? There's only 17 week or 17 games in the season. But sometimes you could look at a loss like that, KG, and I'm saying there might be something to the Cowboys being able to use that to refocus and be like, oh, yeah. We can't just roll into the stadium every week and beat anybody, even average teams, because clearly that didn't work last week, and it's probably not going to work this week against Atlanta. Yeah, you never want a loss to be something that you need to have a wake-up call to try and get yourself refocused and get yourself in a position where you feel like you need to refocus yourself to play better the next week. But at the same time, every team goes through this at some point of the season, and the Cowboys found themselves going through that. Last week, they were riding high off a six-game winning streak, playing good football. But it was served as a reminder last week that any team on any given Sunday can get beat. And for the Cowboys, this is a true opportunity now to remember what got them to the six-game winning streak and, more importantly, build off of what was a learning loss last week against the Denver Broncos to ensure that that something is not happening for the rest of the season, that's the way they played last week. It was Dak Prescott's worst game that I can remember. He, I mean, he looked so off. Denver, credit them for doing some things that were a little different schematically. Vic Fangio, uh, newsflash, most teams are not going to have Vic Fangio calling their defense sure. you know, throughout the rest of the season. This man-match concept they had, was, it, was, 
you know, it was basically man-to-man defense, but they got creative in how they were passing off wide receivers to other DBs as they were flowing through. And it threw Dak off. He was hesitant a few moments. There weren't a lot of open receivers. And then Cowboys pass catchers, Tony Pollard and Mari Cooper come to mind, did not help Dak at all by dropping multiple passes that hit them right in the hands when they were wide open. As you said, just everything going wrong. But the thing that Dak kept going back to was his footwork. You know, his footwork didn't look good. And, and it was the first game coming off the calf injury. He missed the game against the Vikings with the calf. And, you know, I, I thought that probably played a role into his, you know, his feet were just kind of all over the place. And he's somebody who is so technical and, and he works with this Q, uh, 3D QB group out in Southern California on working to make sure everything is just exactly the way it needs to be. John Beck, this quarterback guru, does a great job working with him at Golden West College in Huntington Beach, California, a block from my parents' house, by the way, kind of a small world there. But Dak's footwork was off, and he addressed that this week, talking about how he's going to try to make sure that that's not a problem going forward. I think my footwork was, was poor in that game, and I think it may have come from uh, the lack of it over the past few weeks. And so, I mean, yeah, this week was, was important for me to get back to doing all my basic drills, uh, pushing it, overall not being as accurate as, as I normally or plan to be. Uh, yeah, it took film and just realizing I wasn't getting my feet in the ground. I wasn't sitting on my back leg like I normally do. Uh, and that's what getting this week was about getting back to work and making sure I did that. We're not really worried, right? No. I mean, we're not. I mean, where, where's, where's the level? Okay, so where was your confidence level, scale of 1 to 10, before that game? And how much has it adjusted with the loss? I think before that game, it was about a 7. But now, I'd say it's still about a 7, honestly, because every team is going to go through this. You're going to find yourself having bad football games, but it's an opportunity to learn. And for the Cowboys, and Dak Prescott specifically, coming off the rust that he had not playing for a few weeks, it was a perfect opportunity for him to get back in clean up some things, and then come back out against Atlanta on Sunday and hopefully perform well. Were you worried, Chris, now? I mean, are you, are you, are you concerned? Does it open the door for there to be at least a little bit of? I don't think so. Yeah. I'm not really concerned. I think, if anything, those comments from Dak just kind of remind us of how much professional athletes are creatures of their routine, are creatures of their habits. I mean, coming back from an injury in any sport, they always say guys have to knock off the rust. And I feel like we as non-athletes, no offense to any of us. Hey, calm down. Speak uh, for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, th- I think we expect to see, you know, with the Mavericks, Kristaps Porzingis come back from these long stretch of missed games at the start of the season, be right back to where he was, or Dak come back from a week off plus a bye week and be the quarterback he was for the first eight weeks of the season. But these guys, all week at practice, they're doing these same exact drills every day to get that muscle memory. And when you don't do it for a couple weeks and all of a sudden you're back in game action with defenders flying all around you, maybe some of that muscle memory fades. Not a lot, but just enough to be off a little bit. They're human. I mean, sometimes fans and we in the media, everybody involved around, will watch these games, especially when we're watching it on TV. When you're not, it's a little different when you see them in person and you're in the stadium, but when you're watching these games on TV, sometimes it almost feels like I'm playing Madden, you know, like an. And these aren't human beings that can have a bad day, that can show up and not be in their best frame of mind when they arrive at the stadium. But I think the biggest thing that would be a huge mistake for the Cowboys going forward would be to take this loss and to make it this huge, okay, we're going to change everything because, no, okay? You're one of the top five or six best teams in the NFL. You had a bad game where just about everything went wrong, and clearly just about everything went wrong in that game, and you just kind of have to throw it away and say that's going to happen sometimes. And one one thing in particular, I've seen a lot of Cowboys fans say, see, they shouldn't be going for it on fourth and short. They should because it didn't work, and that's what cost them the game. Okay, no, all right, I trust the Cowboys offense to gain one yard consistently. This is an elite group with an elite running back, with a quarterback who's playing like an MVP, and one of the best wide receiver cores in the NFL. Kellen Moore is on fire calling plays. They shouldn't change it. That's not just me saying that. Listen to Ezekiel Elliott talking about aggressiveness and going for it on fourth down going forward. If you look at how we've played this year, uh, or you know how, how coaches called it, we've been aggressive all year. So, I mean, it had nothing to do with those guys. That's how we've been calling it versus everybody. So, I mean, our approach is going to be aggressive. Uh, we like our guys. We like our matchups. And uh, we're going to continue to be aggressive. I like their guys, and I like their matchup too, you know, especially against Atlanta. I mean, looking at it and saying this is a Falcons team that is coming off a nice win against the New Orleans Saints. Okay, credit to them for that. Um, 
But I'm not concerned if I'm a Cowboys fan right now. You want to know where the Falcons rank when it comes to ratings in the NFL right now, according to Football Outsiders, okay, in their DVOA ranking right now? 31st in the NFL overall. They're 25th in offense, 30th in defense. Yes, they're coming off a nice performance and a close win over the New Orleans Saints, mind you, with Trevor Simeon playing quarterback, okay? <laughs> but I, I think this is a game, this is a get-right game. It's, this feels to me like a game where the Cowboys show up and take care of business, and they show again to the world that they're ready to go, and they are one of the best teams in football, and last week was an aberration. Am I crazy? Well, I'll, I'll say this. The Falcons have a lot to play for themselves. If the playoffs were to start today, the Falcons would actually be in the playoffs. They're 4-4. Four and four. Cordell Patterson's having a career year. Dante Fowler Jr. is trending to potentially returning. And this is a Falcons team that's averaged 28 points in the three wins that they've had in three of the last four games that they've, they've played. So I'm not going to take the Falcons lightly. Look, I learned last week. I'm not going to take, you know, like the Broncos. They came in and showed what they were able to do. The Falcons themselves have a lot to play for. The Cowboys have a lot of pride on the line. Obviously, want to get back on track. But this is a Falcons team that's starting to find itself a little bit. And more importantly, they find themselves competing not just in the NFC South, but also in the NFC playoff picture altogether. Not to mention they have Matt Ryan playing quarterback. Mm -hmm. and to, you know, he played like the old Matt Ryan last week. He was running around, making plays and some big throws. Mike McCarthy talked about what it's like facing Matt Ryan, a veteran quarterback who's clearly had a lot of success in the NFL. Yeah, definitely. I, I think he does a really good job. His instincts and awareness is high. The you know, ball placement is really good. Um, you can see he's you know, you know, been through a number of offenses in his career. Um, as you see the last four or three years, you know, he's more and more comfortable uh, in the scheme, you know, particularly with Roman Brown and Shepard doing some good things in a situational offense. So, yeah, I mean, Matt's played a ton of football and has been very, very consistent his whole time in the league. Yeah, not to mention, you know, he also has Cordero Patterson, as we all expected. <laughs> you know, the super weapon, Cordero Patterson. This guy, it's funny because, you know, fantasy football is a huge thing in the NBC5 Sports office. We're always, you know, Newey Scruggs and, and, you know, Alex Diaz and Chris. We're all debating and arguing and having a great time. I remember Cordero Patterson was Matthew Barry's big thing in fantasy football <laughs> like six years ago, you know, and nothing's happened. And all of a sudden he's one of the best weapons in football. I will say they do have Kyle Pitts, who was amazing to watch, uh, you know, and studying the draft this past year. And he's lived up to it. I think he's one of the best weapons in football. I don't understand why they don't use him more. I know he's a rookie tight end, and, and but he really is just a weapon overall. I'll give you that the Falcons offensive attack is – is somewhat, you know, could be a little worrisome for this Cowboys team. But overall, man, come on. I mean, the, the Cowboys are big favorites for a reason, and I just feel like it's a get-right game coming this week. It, it should be. I mean, Kyle Pitts is leading the Falcons in receiving. And one of the things that, you know, folks were talking about, maybe the Broncos exposed the Cowboys a little bit last week. Honestly, I felt like it was a continuation of some of the things that we've seen from the Cowboys throughout the season, especially giving up big plays in the passing game. They gave up a 44-yard touchdown pass, you know, to Tim Patrick last week. This is a Falcons team that's capable of putting points on the board, and while they won't have Calvin Ridley this week, Matt Ryan can make some plays down the field. Kyle Pitts can make some catches and get some yards after the catch. The Cowboys will have to be on their P's and Q's this week to ensure that they're not allowing big plays in the passing game, and more importantly, not allowing Cordell Patterson to get out in space because he could cause problems for this Cowboys defense on Sunday. No question. And for more on this Dallas Cowboys matchup with the Atlanta Falcons, let us welcome in one of my favorite guys who covers the Dallas Cowboys for the Athletic. Mr. John Mashoda is here, one of my main guys in the Dallas sports media. How are you, buddy? Thank you for joining Big Game Friday morning this morning. I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. It's been a while. No doubt, man. Hey, this Cowboys team, it's been a fun start to the season, but last week kind of feels like an aberration. A lot of Cowboys fans concerned. Just in general, your thoughts on the Dallas Cowboys' performance last week. Did the Denver Broncos figure them out, or is this something that you think is just a one-week aberration blip on the map? Well, I think a highly motivated Denver Broncos team deserves a lot of credit. Uh, they played a lot better than I think anybody was expecting, including the players in the Cowboys' locker room, which they're not going to admit. But uh, I just felt like I was watching a Cowboys team that, that felt like they kind of just turned it on whenever they wanted to and would, and would win that game. And they just, the game kept going on and going on and going on, and they never really, uh, you know, got on the board. And so I felt like they started to press. And, you know, obviously Dak Prescott played one of his worst games. Uh, he didn't look comfortable really throughout. 
And then you just, there were little plays throughout, whether it's the, you know, you talk about that, the punt that was blocked that they got back. But I mean, even just simple catches that, you know, Cedric Wilson and Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb can make that they weren't. It just, it was kind of a, it's kind of a humbling experience that they probably needed, but I know no fans want to hear that because they wanted this team to, you know, go 15 and one, but that's just really not how the NFL is. If you just look across the entire league, I mean, this is a league of parody. And so you're going to have games like this. Now, I don't think you should have laid an egg being 30, 30, nothing down uh, late in the fourth quarter, but I, th- I, I don't think that they have the blueprint. I, 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 and then here's the other thing. Like if they have a blueprint, like, okay, so every team that beats any team that that's the blueprint for beating them, like the saints shut down the bucks, like nobody else, nobody else really seems to be able to do what Dan- Dennis Allen and that saints defense can do against him. I mean, it takes the right kind of guys too, and you also have to play a system that you're comfortable with. I, I just, there's going to be things that were that were done against the Cowboys in that game. Other teams try. I don't know if it's going to be as successful, uh, especially when I don't see Dak Prescott. This is the biggest part of it all, being as rusty as he was in that game. Yeah, and John wrote this article at, at the Athletic. You should check it out. It's a really good read. The five biggest issues in the loss to the Broncos for the Cowboys, and and number one on your list was the Cowboys' offensive line issues. Here, here's the problem: is that that seems to continue to be a problem, right? Because Tyron Smith, we're not expecting him to play on Sunday. Uh, do you think they're going to change things up from last week, or are they just going to press ahead and hope that Terrence Steele is better at left tackle? Your general thoughts on the O-line issues in Dallas right now? No, I think it's full steam ahead with the same group. Uh, you know, just in talking to Terrence Steele yesterday, uh, it's certainly that's where he's been working at his left tackle. He says he feels more comfortable now having an, another full week of practice under his belt. Uh, I don't think anybody should expect him to be anything close to Tyron Smith when he gets out there. So there really aren't a lot of other options. Like Ty Nisecki is just not a guy that they're going to put out there for an entire game. They like him as the swing tackle. I don't think they feel comfortable with him playing 60 snaps. So this is the move that you go with. And I, and I do think that they'll be, they'll be better off because of the fact that you have, you know, Lyle Collins back at left, left tackle. I mean, at right tackle playing his traditional position. He, that should be a better fit for him. And for Terrence Steele, as much as fans don't want to hear it because they're all about right now, this is also about building for the future. I mean, this Tyron Smith stuff, this isn't new. And it's not, it's, it's not like it's just one injury. It's not like, oh, he got the back fixed or the neck fixed, and now everything's back. There's always something. And that's because there's a lot of wear and tear on his body because he got in the league so young. But um, Terrence Steele is going to be with this organization for a long time. Um, and the, the behind the scenes, they're very pleased with him. I know that on the outside, fans hated what they've seen against the Broncos, but Terrence Steele is, is, is here to stay. And so I, I think it makes sense to keep getting him those reps there uh, and hopefully that, you know, he continues to progress. But, I mean, we all know if, if Tyron Smith isn't out there, this team isn't reaching its, its max expectations. John Mishota of The Athletic uh, joining us here on Big Game Friday morning. John knows how much I love him, how much his content comes through for me every single <laughs> weekend. So love you, John, for that. Uh, question for you when it comes to this defense. I like to call this game the – uh, Dan Quinn, Joe Witt Jr., Demonte Casey, Keanu Neal revenge game uh, as they're taking on their former team, the Atlanta Falcons. Dan Quinn talked about earlier this week, hey, we got a lot of stuff to fix. When you look at this Cowboys team defensively, what do you think Dan Quinn means specifically when he talks about the things that they need to fix going into Sunday? Number one is the 14 missed tackles in the game. He harped on that a lot on Monday. He was not pleased with that, those missed tackles, and, and, and mainly just the fact that there were just too many, you know, one-man tackles there weren't enough guys flying to the ball like they like like we've seen really every other other week even going back to week one we didn't see the defense play like this but you know Dan Quinn and Joe Witt weren't here last year and the three of us were and we saw how (laughs) bad that team was defensively against the run and it was hard to watch that game and not think yeah I saw this run defense last year um, against a, a yeah, exactly. Against the Broncos team, that's like no one is sitting there like talking about their running backs going for the rushing title. Nobody's talking about their offensive line as anything special. And they were down three guys and they were doing whatever they wanted on the ground. That was that to me is the most concerning part of that game. And I think that that's what Dan Quinn probably saw as well, because frankly, if you can run the ball like that, I don't care how good the, the Cowboys offense is. It's going to be tough to to beat a team that's just running downhill on you for 200 yards. So uh, I think those are the kind of the main things. And then the other one would be just that this is a defense that's built on taking the ball away and not having any takeaways the last two weeks. 
that that's an issue. They need to get that fixed because this is a defense that if they don't take the ball away, they're just not good enough to shut teams down. They have to steal but, possessions. But other than that, things are fine. I mean, like, there's no other issues there. <laughs> it's just all these problems. Are, come on, man. They got to bounce back. Other here, here comes other problems. But Pat, real quick, real yeah, quick, yeah. Pat. Though, Pat. Though, hey, honestly, though, I think that one of the one of the issues that we all run into is that we're so focused on the teams that we cover or the teams that we watch on a regular basis. And I don't think that everyone looks at the big picture enough because, yeah, they have all those problems I just listed off. And if I covered any other of the 31 teams in this league, I could run off three or four things that all of them. And that goes all the way to the top from the Cardinals to the, I know the Rams are signing everybody that's ever made a pro bowl in the history of the NFL, but (laughs) they all have issues too. So believe me, I grew up diehard Lions fan, and I still follow the Lions, and they're obviously awful, but I still follow them, and I and I watch just about every game Matthew Stafford played. Like he's not without his own issues as well. We saw it against Tennessee. I mean, he he is prone to, to make some big mistakes and big like no one's beyond any of these bad games like this. The Cowboys are a juggernaut compared to John's Lions, that's for sure. And I mean, we haven't even mentioned oh. some of the other problems. <laughs> They have right now. It's an opportunity for the Cowboys to show they can handle adversity once again, John, because now Randy Gregory is injured, and they have a guy named Liram Hyrulahu kicking for them. I, that, I gave it my best go. Um, wh- what do we think about some of these changes? It just feels like the Cowboys keep having things thrown their way, but to their credit, and Mike McCarthy's credit, for the most part, they've handled a lot of these issues. They have. uh Going back, going to the kicker thing, I I don't think this game should come down to field goals. I think that as much as fans saw, yeah, right. The way that fans saw them play against the Broncos, I know some people probably thought it was a little arrogant how they were going for it on fourth and one and fourth and two, and that yeah, it's arrogant because and 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 you don't like it because they're not converting. But I think they should have the exact same game plan going in this game. There shouldn't be settling for field goals. If you get in those fourth and one, fourth and two situations again with this offense. You should be going downhill and going for it again. I'm, I'm fully on board with that, and I know very well what the stats are, that this team has not been great on fourth down. But I like that as the identity, and especially not having your, your regular field goal kicker there this week. Um, I, I mean, of course, there's certain situations, yes, I'll kick field goals. There's obvious situations that happens, but you don't want this to come down to field goals. Their kicker is way better than, yeah, I mean, he's one of the best kickers in the entire league. So, But it shouldn't come down to this. This is a game that, like Dak Prescott, should bounce back and throw four or five touchdown passes. I mean, that's really honestly what should happen uh, against Atlanta, against that Atlanta pass defense. And if some people think that that's what they were expecting last week and it didn't happen, so it's not going to happen this week, I don't buy in, in, in all that momentum from week to week. I think that you, it's a different opponent, and they should be able to put their foot on the gas and make up for a lot of the mistakes they made last week. And really, as motivated as they should have been at any point this season. I mean, Mike McCarthy talked about going into last week's game how – the don't eat the cheese, the you know the Bill Parcell saying. So obviously he saw some stuff going into that game that he didn't like to even be bringing that up. But that's like words, and that's videos, and that's a little motivational speak. Nothing tops the way that they played against Denver. That's all the motivation that they should need. And that leads me to my final question for you, John. It's just, you know, this Cowboys team, a lot of confidence in the group, I think, league-wide going into last week. Then they get blown out. How much has your opinion of this Cowboys ceiling this season changed based on what you saw last Sunday? Absolutely none at all. I mean, uh, while I look at the Denver game and I'm like, man, that's bad. Like, you can't have another one of those. I also look at where New England is now, and I think that winning in New England looks even better now. I think winning against the Chargers, Pat, I know that you know how good the Chargers are, but I think some other people might not have in, in week two. That's a that's a that's a big time win there. This isn't a team that just got to six and one because there's some fool's gold wins out there. I mean, they've they've had some nice wins that, that have gotten there, the way they played against the Bucks in week one. And then just the fact that yeah, they've had these injuries like like with Tyron or Demarcus Lawrence or Randy and Neville Galmore, but like they're still getting all these guys back. And I just I feel like one of the strengths if not his number one strength, Mike McCarthy, is that he seems to have the long haul picture is always in mind throughout this entire season. And I think that's why he's being cautious with some of these guys, not bringing back Michael Gallup last week like he could have, but he wanted to make sure he was fully healthy. He could have brought back Dak against Minnesota, didn't want to do it, wanted to make sure he was fully healthy. I think that this team will get its guys back and be clicking when it needs to. And, And here's the other thing, like, no matter, even if they lost to the Falcons this week and they lose the week after that and the week after that, they're still in the NFC East. They're still making the playoffs, and that's what it's all about, and that's how this team's going to be judged, whether 
they don't lose another game in the regular season or they lose two or three more. Like, it's all going to come down to what they do in the playoffs, and this is still a team that I think can beat any team in the NFC. And yeah. obviously the AFC, too. Just when I thought I was going to invite John Machota back again, he has to bring my Chargers loss into the mix. Thank you for doing that on a Friday morning. <laughs> no, man, he does great work. Check out his work in The Athletic. John Machota, bud, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, I'll see you in the press box on Sunday. All right? Sounds good, boys. Thanks for having me on. There he goes, John Machota, one of the best in the business. Does a great job covering the Dallas Cowboys, one of my good friends in the media here in North Texas. And I think he brings up some good points when he's talking about McCarthy's ability to just kind of look big picture. And that leads me to kind of where I wanted to take our conversation now. This, this where do they stand among the rest of the teams in the NFC, in the NFL, in our, you know, which teams can win the Super Bowl if the Super Bowl were next week conversation right now? I mean, th there's a handful of them. Um, I have my, a couple of my favorites, you know, that I think are in that group. I'm curious, KG, first, you can go first here on how, how big of a group you think that is of teams that can realistically not come out of nowhere, you know, but teams that can realistically win the Super Bowl right now. Are the Cowboys on that list and who is on that list for you? So I have seven teams I think that realistically could win the Super Bowl. And the number one team just got even better because – Nostradamus Pat Doney over here. He saw yeah, yeah. Odell Beckham Jr. going to the the Los Angeles Rams. So the Rams are my number one team. I have the Bucks, the Titans, the Packers, Cardinals, Ravens, and Cowboys are my seven teams who I feel like realistically can win the Super Bowl because how do you bet against Tom Brady at this point? And the Titans, they have some really good wins. They beat the Chiefs. They beat the Bills. They go to Los Angeles last week on Sunday Night Football and beat the Rams there. So those are my top three, but I include the Packers, Cardinals, Ravens, and the Cowboys there as my seventh. I don't want to include the Titans. I just, for whatever reason, have not been able to buy in on the Titans. I just can't. But here's the problem, okay? The Titans have the easiest schedule in the NFL the rest of the way. They are in the driver's seat already with the best record in the AFC mm -hmm. to now have home field advantage in the playoffs. Would we be shocked if Derrick Henry, you know, comes – uh, you know, running out of the tunnel, you know, in the second round of the playoffs, if he's able to bounce back from the foot injury, too. I, you know, I'm going to include them, but I really don't. The defense don't. is pretty good, too. The defense is playing out of its mind. That's <laughs> the thing is the defense wasn't supposed to be good. Like, we, we had an agreement before the season that the defense was going to be bad and that Tannehill and Henry were going to have to carry them. Man, they're doing a great job. Okay, Chris, you go ahead. What, what Are the Cowboys in the group that can still win the Super Bowl today? And if so, who are the teams that are in that group? The Cowboys are still in the group. It's the Cardinals, I mean, it's similar. The Cardinals and the Rams, Packers, Bucks. I think the NFC has a pretty clear upper echelon. The AFC is obviously a lot more muddied. I don't know what to think about Baltimore anymore, Kevin, after last night's game in Miami. I know <laughs> Thursday night games are always weird stuff happens on yeah. Thursday mm -hmm. night. Yeah. I'm, put, I'm still keeping the Bills in my group. I don't think, I think that loss to Jacksonville last week can kind of be grouped in with the Cowboys' loss to Denver, just kind of an aberration. Also because you look around the AFC, there's not a lot of teams better than them. It's them, the Titans, and the Ravens. That's kind of it. And, Pat, I'm with you. I don't know if I can include Tennessee in that group not knowing whether Derrick Henry is going to be healthy for a playoff run or not. I know that timetable is right around there. So it would be, it'd be even, interesting to see. Even with Derrick Henry, I just for some reason just can't, you know, like <laughs> I just there's something about that squad. Maybe it's that I just don't trust that Ryan Tannehill can go out and win a game for him, even mm -hmm. with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, who are awesome. And I think Tannehill's good. He's, he's solid. But there's just a vibe, a feeling, and, man, that makes me feel like I have, like, nothing backing my statement <laughs> up when I say it that way. But I just I don't have anything to back up the fact that I just don't feel like – but. Watch them prove me wrong and go on some amazing, crazy run. Um, I think the Rams are the favorites right now. When you add OBJ, and yes, I did call it on the show last week. Thank mm -hmm. you for remembering. But that's a, that's a pretty easy call when, in my standpoint when it comes to pro athletes love living in Los Angeles, okay? They love playing for coaches who put them in situations to succeed, and I believe Sean McVay will do that. And wide receivers love playing with great quarterbacks. Matthew Stafford is a great quarterback. These are all wet formula to, to a recipe to say, hey, disgruntled superstar player, come on down. Okay, like plus they already added Von Miller, so they're chasing the ring, they're going after it. They're just a number, and then people are like, well, he could have gone somewhere else, you know, and maybe gotten more catches, or he wouldn't be the number three guy. 
Guys in OBJ's position, in my opinion, it comes down to two things. Number one, how much are you going to pay me? Because they're highly sought after for a reason, very talented, okay? Number two, if everybody's going to pay me about the same and it's in the lower level below what I believe I'm worth making, then I might as well go chase a ring and go get a Super Bowl, you know, and go play with a super team. So it's a one-year deal. It's not that much, you know. To me, it made a lot of sense. But, okay, so I've got the Rams as the favorites. Although, man, you know, do you know who has the easiest record excuse me, the easy schedule, according to Football Outsiders, going forward in the NFC. Is it the Cowboys? I'll go to Bucks. It's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Okay. Yeah. The, the Cowboys are, uh, I believe, the fifth on the list throughout the rest of the season, so they still have a very easy, workable schedule. They still have, what, four division games left right. against this terrible division? Yeah, but so here's the problem. Kansas City is yep. tough, as we expected. I almost said Oakland. Las Vegas, better than we expected. Right. Arizona is way better than we expected. All of a sudden, these games are like, man, you know, that's a, you better win your division games. It's, I guess the way I would phrase it, you know, and put it that way. But, um, okay, so I have uh, Tampa. I have the Cowboys. I have the Rams. I have Green Bay. I, I can't quit Kansas City, even though I should. Tra- <laughs> Travis Kelsey does not look right. You know, that's that, – a lot of people aren't talking about that, KG. That, that Kelsey in that off. I mean, people are talking about the offense. Oh, what's wrong with the Chiefs? I'll tell you what it is, is that their offense is based on Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are going to go beat your defense. And Patrick Mahomes is, you know, crazy talent, going to get him the football. The issue is, is that they're doubling Tyreek Hill. And out of nowhere, Travis Kelsey's not getting open anymore. Are you not? A, you, you're not putting Kansas City in that category anymore. You're done. For the yeah, Chiefs. because I They're mean, finished. You, you, you mentioned what they're you know struggling with offensively. Defensively is oh, where it is for me. Terrible. This is one of the worst, if not the worst, defense in all of the NFL. And the amount of pressure that the Kansas City Chiefs defense is putting on this offense for them to have to score, it feels like every single possession. That's where things start to get a little crazy because Mahomes, I think, feels like he has to press and has to score a touchdown every time out because he knows that his defense, unfortunately, on the other side, isn't stopping anyone right now. So right now I have the Chiefs on the outside looking in, but you can never count out Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs because of You the, just did. I'm just but saying. You counted him out. Just because, you know, the history is there, though. But I, I don't have him in right now. This is the group of contenders that the Chiefs defense is grouped with right now in the AFC. Only the Dolphins, the Jets, Dolphins look pretty good last and night. the Come Texans on have allowed more points in the AFC than the Chiefs this season. You guys wow. are just, I mean, we're clipping these moments right now in this show for like a month and a half from now. <laughs> the Chiefs have won their eighth game in a row. You know, it's a, I mean, because nobody's I mean, going to be shocked. Shock no, no, no it wouldn't on, shock me. Man. But they have to be willing to take what the defense gives them, and Mahomes hasn't been willing to do that, and then Travis Kelsey has to start getting open more, which is weird to say because the guy has been so good for so long. But right now, he's just basically getting manned up and getting shut down and not getting open, which uh, it's kind of – you kind of want to look at Andy Reid and Mahomes and be like, see, this is what it's like to be the rest of the NFL, to not, <laughs> to not have Tyreek Hill and, and, you know, playing at the level that he was before and Travis Kelsey as well. Um, I, I'm not sure about – I still have questions about Arizona. You know, with the, with the health now, J.J. Watts out. I love Kyler. You know, I, I remember watching Kyler and Allen. You know, it's such such a fun player to watch. But he's always going to concern me because of his size. His, that body is not meant to take the beating from NFL defensive linemen. It feels like long-term, right? And then the other thing that concerns me is just, you know, the defense, I still have some questions here and there. You know, I, I don't know. A- anyway, I just don't think they're quite on the level of the Rams, the Cowboys, uh, and then I think that uh, the Packers and the Bucks are also kind of, I think it's those four, and then Arizona's right there. In the AFC, I still think we all agree Buffalo's the favorite still, even after what happened last week, or no? Uh, the Titans I do. is my favorite. Titans your favorite. I've mm-hmm. still got the Bills as mine. I still think Baltimore's right there, too, even though last night was bad. I, I, wonder, I wonder if that was a formula or a bad week. You know, it's the same question that we have with the Cowboys yeah. right now, formula or um, Miami blitzed Lamar Jackson more than any team has blitzed an opposing quarterback in a game all season. And the Ravens receivers were not winning, and Jackson didn't seem to handle it very well. So that's something to watch going forward. Maybe this cover zero approach that Miami took last night, this philosophy. We had Deontay Lee on the show last week, you mm-hmm. know, from Pro Football Focus, and he talks about creepers. It's where all of these defensive linemen and linebackers, and even a DB or two, stand at the line of scrimmage, 
and it's like seven dudes across, and the quarterback's looking and basically saying, who's coming? And the defense could bring all seven. The defense could bring four and have three guys drop back. It could be five, you know, and you don't know if it's all going to be from one side, you know, split up, and it makes it really hard, and Miami was doing a lot of that last night. The Cowboys have done a lot of that this season as well. All right, real quick, I want to get to a Twitter situation that we had earlier this week. You know, I, I, re- I just kind of put a tweet out and wondered from Cowboys fans their responses on who they believe that are the Cowboys' next three opponents is most likely to beat Dallas, and that is Atlanta this week, then at Kansas City, then home against the Raiders on Thanksgiving. Chris, you are our social media guy, so I'm going to let you go ahead and just kind of get some of the responses from the Cowboys fans. And it seemed to be pretty overwhelmingly positive, I think. Like, belief is still there to an extent, right? That the team is good. The team is good, and that they're going to win most of the games. But what were some of the responses like on that? It's primarily Chiefs. You've got a few Raiders mixed in, only one Falcons. I think most people are under the impression that the Cowboys are going to win this Sunday. But one of my favorite ones said Raiders because it's on national TV with everybody watching. Oh. so which Have the Cowboys been on TV this year? I can't remember. A couple, a few times. I think they've won a couple national TV games. Maybe maybe with a guy named Cooper Rush as the quarterback. Say. Mm. Um, but a couple of people did point out that the Raiders are playing – Better than expected right now, especially with everything going on in that organization on a short week. I personally think that could be a tough one for the Cowboys. And then obviously going on the road to Arrowhead is always a challenge. Uh, one person at the end says all three because the Cowboys stink. I don't oh, think that is. I don't go. think that is. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that's settled. Yeah. Fantastic. So, yeah. You know, it's all three where they're going to lose four straight, apparently. No, I, I think they're going to win all three. I, I just I think they're oh. going to win all three. Oh, you don't think they slip up one? Oh, no. Okay. I think they're going to win all three of those games. I, th- I really think as much as we hate the term good loss, moral moral victory, all that, I mean, everybody hates that stuff, right? It's true, man. You know, and when out at the star this week, you know, being around hearing these players talk, hearing McCarthy and all that, the level of focus that's there right now, I mean, these dudes, I think they're going to win this game by like, 17 points, 21 points on Sunday. I think they're going to blow the Falcons out. I, that's wow. just I'm I'm putting it on the record. We'll see. I okay. could be wrong. Your most the most concerning game is at Arrowhead to me because it's just a really hard place to play and it's Patrick Mahomes. Uh, KG, your most concerning game of the three is. I agree that the Chiefs is the most concerning, but a close second for me is definitely the Atlanta game this weekend because. Oh, you're concerned. Well, you don't want to have back-to-back performances the way that you had against Denver while you think the level of focus is where it needs to be. Again, Atlanta's playing for a lot themselves, and they're not going to come in here and lay down. They Look, they had a chance last year to win the football game, blew a big lead. No way. And not happening. didn't play well at the end. So <laughs> They can't do the things look, on defense that Denver does. It's not happening, KG. But the Cowboys give a big plays on offense, and, yes. that, and, that, and that's, what, that's what concerns me this week is can you contain or at least find a way to slow down Cordell Patterson? Because if you can, I think a lot of offensively you can stop for a lot of the Falcons this weekend. You guys are going to be clipping that right there, you know, when they lose by a last-second field goal or when Liram Hairu-Lahu can't make a field goal as oh, time expires. Oh, I don't want it to come down you know, to a field goal. Not at all. Don't leave it down to Liram. I'm mm-hmm. going to say, poor Brad Sham. You know, <laughs> don't get it wrong, you know, in that moment there. Hey, what, a, what an awesome football weekend. I mean, as we transition from the NFL now to high school football, has the postseason has arrived. It's been a really fun season so far this year in Texas high school football. Just maybe it's because last year was so strange, you know, with the smaller crowds and so many games being canceled that maybe I'm loving it more. But the postseason is here, and it's just been a really enjoyable year with Dallas-Fort Worth having plenty of teams that are, are contenders. I don't know if there's a lot of favorites, you know, in the area to win state championships, um, but I think it's going to be a really fun postseason that kicks off. It kicked off last night, but throughout this weekend, and, and that includes our big game Friday game of the week, which is a great matchup. Usually a lot of these t- these first-round playoff games can be expected to be blowouts. Our game of the week will not be that. I can assure you, as Prosper is traveling to Flower Mount Marcus, a very good team is going to lose and have their season end tonight. That's the, just the way that it works out. Marcus, the district champion, uh, taking on the four seed, uh, Prosper from their district as well. And so I was really excited to bring on our next guest. It, it, this guy, man, Greg Tepper is just like a walking encyclopedia for high school football. It's on. I mean, th- look at him. He's looking around. You know, he's probably looking at notes Wait. right now. You know, he's trying to get ready to even be more prepared for this. From Dave Campbell's Texas football, Greg Tepper, one of my favorite guys in sports. And, man, 
how great has this season been with everything we went through last year? Am I, am I right about this? It just feels even better because last year was just such a challenging year overall. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that it's, it's because it's been uh, a minute since we've had that kind of normal season. And, and because we, we've, gotten to, we've gotten to see the, the, the tough side of Texas high school football, where we had to power through and really, you know, slog through Texas high school ball and, and asking the questions, you know, should we be playing this and that? This year, we've been able to just go out there and enjoy it. And we've been able to, I think the fans being back has been big. I think that the, the action on the field has been unbelievable. And, and I think that it's just a matter of we all got to fall in love again with Texas high school football for the reasons that we've loved it for, for years and for decades and for, for generations. And it's because it's a touchstone in people's lives. It's a community thing. Uh, and also the action on the field is really good. And it's a lot of fun to watch. And at this time of year, uh, it, that intensity only increases. Yeah, the crowds just feel louder. The bands, the cheer, I mean, the whole situation, the, the, it just feels more intense, and again, it's probably because there was a year of it not feeling like that to an extent. Uh, Greg, I want to ask your opinion about state championship contenders from the North Texas area. You know, I know Southlake Carroll is ranked highly in 6A, and they've got a great chance with a great running back. I think they would be the favorites if they had Quinn Ewers. That's my opinion. But I know they're not the favorite. That said, overall, are they in that group, or what teams would you say in North Texas are serious threats to go ahead and win the whole thing in AT&T Stadium? You, you know, let's start with Carroll, uh, and, and I would install them as on that short list of favorites there in the 6A Division One bracket. Uh, they're a team that even without uh, Quinn Ewers, uh, Caden Anderson, I think, has stepped in in a big-time way, and, and Owen Allen, you mentioned their running back, has been fantastic. And the thing for me that was always going to be the difference and why I wasn't ready to throw dirt on Carroll whenever uh, Quinn Ewers opted out is that I think that their defense is really good. And their defense has been very solid all year long. It's going to keep them in a lot of ball games. Uh, I think they've got a relatively favorable draw out of Region 1. They, they would have to run into a team like Allen at some point. Uh, but I think that they would be, it's crazy to say that Allen would be an underdog, but I think they'd be an underdog in that game. That's certainly a team to keep an eye on. 6A Division Two bracket, I would look at a team like Denton Geyer as a team that can make a run. Uh, of course, they've got their own quarterback in Jackson Arnold. But they've got a really interesting, if you're into quarterback play and just like quarterback prospects, Big game tonight between Dyer and Flower Mound, uh, between uh, Jackson Arnold, who may in fact be the number one quarterback in the class of 2023 in the state of Texas, going up against Nick Evers, uh, the Florida commit, who really put on the cape last week against Coppell and was able to get Flower Mound into the playoffs. That is a really intriguing game there, the 6A ranks. Uh, I would also say, you know, to stay in the 6A ranks, we haven't talked a ton about Duncanville. Duncanville's a team that I think that week one loss to modern day right, where they got, look, they got... They got stomped. I mean, they got, yeah. they, they got blasted into the sun. Um, they were, I think people forgot about them after that point, but they are a team that is really, really dangerous. Their defense has really rounded into form. One of the best in the state, uh, you know, guys like Amari Abor and Jordan Crook, they, they're, that's going to keep them in a lot of ball games. A lot of contenders at 6A ranks, 5A ranks is loaded with them too. Denton Ryan, Crystal Lone Star, Alito, uh, you know, 4A ranks got a few as well, including Melissa and Argyle. Uh, the North Texas area is really loaded with, with contenders, I would say, at least in those top three classifications. Yeah, I'm with you. And you mentioned Allen. Watch out for Hebron tonight. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that Allen's going to lose that game, but I, I think that could be a sneaky game. I, I have my eye on that one. Hebron, Hebron has been known to ruin a season or two. Yeah. Brian Brazel has been known to, to pull the upset. And this is an Allen team that you wonder if their confidence is shaken. You know, they lose a district game for the first time in umpteen years to Prosper. They, they've had a multiple loss regular season for the first time in a long time. Um, you wonder if their confidence is shaken. Now, you know, they got going to Allen Eagle Stadium is no picnics. They've only lost one game ever there. But Hebron is certainly capable. If they play their best game and Allen plays with their food a little bit, yeah, the, the Hawks could spring the upset. All right, I want to hear your favorite storyline of the season so far. I'll give you mine. It's been the Garland Owls watching Sergio Perez, you know, and Garland come out of nowhere and, man, just almost on a record-breaking pace offensively. They've been outstanding. I didn't see that coming. I thought it would be good. I just didn't think they would be this good. What is your favorite storyline so far in North Texas high school football? Yeah, I think that I think that's a great one. That That's one of those big surprises. Uh, and there's always a couple of those every year that, that they come out of nowhere and you go, wait a second, what what are you doing here? You're, you're not supposed to be that good. We, we This is supposed to follow a script, and you're uh, going against that script. That would be a team, you know, that, that's certainly an example there. Uh, I would take a look overall 
I think what a year for Frisco ISD. Um, that is a story that I think we, we really need to be paying attention to between Frisco High, between Frisco Lone Star, between Frisco Liberty, and Frisco Wakeland. Those are four really good teams. And normally for Frisco, Frisco ISDs, there tends to be one team that really carries the banner. This year, they've got a ton of really quality programs up there. That's been, a, that's been really fun to watch. It's no wonder that you know when they got into district play, they're all kind of beating each other up. There is a lot of really good talent there, uh, you know, up there in Frisco. I see that's been a really fun story in the in the DFW Metroplex uh, to keep an eye on. So, so yeah, that that would be one of the one of the best storylines I think in, in in the state. Greg, I want to get your perspective on uh, a tie with obviously Texas high school state football, but also in the college ranks. Joey McGuire taking over at Texas Tech, of course, legendary over at Cedar Hill. How big was it for Joey McGuire to get that job at Texas Tech, knowing the lineage that he was able to build at Cedar Hill and now being able to go to Texas Tech after being at Baylor and now taking over for the Red Raiders there? Yeah, it's it's really big. And, and I think that when you saw the, the news come out that McGuire was going to be the guy at Tech, you heard this roar from the Texas high school coaches who were, were like, yeah, that's our guy. And it's really the second of their guys to really be installed recently. Of course, Jeff Trailer down there at UTSA, who was a former Gilmer coach out in East Texas, and, and you see how that's working out for UTSA. They're nine and zero, uh, and uh, and and you know ranked in the in college football playoff. For Joey McGuire, you know, when we talked with him on TexasFootball.com uh, yesterday, he understands that he is representative of Texas high school football coaches because I think that there is this notion that people say, you know. These Texas high school football coaches, they are great, great high school football coaches. And maybe they, like, emphasize that high school part a little more, right? And they say they're great high school coaches. But this college stuff, this is, this is too big for you. This is, this is a different world. And I think that Joey McGuire thinks that's wrong. I think he believes that Texas high school, like I do, that Texas high school coaches are just great football minds. And they understand the game, and they think about it in an interesting way. And they're, they're having to battle against one another on a weekly basis. And now here in the playoffs in a win or go home situation, which is not something you have to do in the college ranks. And I think that he knows he's carrying the banner and he knows he's carrying the flag for them. And so for Texas high school football coaches, uh, you can say this with with certainty. They're rooting for Joey McGuire. They want him to succeed out there at Tech. And, and, and that's a big reason why I think Tech was really willing to make the plunge on a guy who's never been a collegiate head coach. I think they wanted to go with a guy who had those types of relationships, who is a culture builder, who understands what it's uh, how it takes, or what it takes to to build a program like that, and who is a guy who who's got inroads in the recruiting uh, world. You know, the name of the game in college football, in my opinion, is talent acquisition, mm-hmm. and he is a guy who has a unique uh, a unique set of circumstances that are going, unique set of skills that are going to make him dangerous in the talent acquisition world. Hey, Greg, wanted to take a step back and zoom out a little bit and talk about realignment coming up. And the size of some of these schools, there's been a few reports in recent weeks about what could happen with classifications, seen reports about a possible Class 7A, or maybe there's a solution of splitting 6A into Division One and Division Two. Chris, Chris wants to know if Allen can be in its own division, yeah, you know, all just, by itself. Can Allen just play, I don't know, a couple teams from Nine the Houston a, area? Yeah. yeah, Build a um, super conference. But what are, you, what are you hearing and what do you think is going to happen if not this round of realignment in two years in 2024? Uh, when it comes to some of these schools that are just becoming small villages? Well, I think you put the, the right time frame on. It's not coming in the 2022 realignment. Uh, the 2022 realignment comes out in February, uh, so it's just a few months away. i got to get my mind around that. Uh, it comes out <laughs> in February, and, uh, and, and that will not include a Class 7. Uh, it will not. They're, 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 that's something they're, but that is something that they are – actively kicking around in Austin at the UIL is the idea of adding an extra classification. Perhaps it's a smaller classification. Uh, you know, perhaps it's, it's, it's instead of being, you know, for example, uh, the, the average, you know, class 5A Division One, for example, has 129 teams in it, right? Um, I would say that maybe uh, a class 7A may have 70 or something like that or 75. It would be a smaller classification, maybe something like that. Uh, but what you're going to see, I think, is a kind of same old, same old as far as what this looks like. I think that, you know, every time they've gone to 6A coaches and they've asked, do you want the division split to, 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 to kind of back up for a minute, 
5A and below, they're pre-split. There's 5A Division I, 5A Division II. You know where you're going. It's not dependent on you know you know where you finish and, and who gets into the playoffs, what bracket you go to. 6A is not pre-split. It's the once you get to the playoffs, they take the two largest teams from your qualifying teams from your district, go to the Division One bracket, or two smaller go to Division Two. Okay, there's a quick overview. Every time they've asked 6A coaches, do you want the pre-split divisions like they have in 5A and below? They've said no. They don't want that. And so I think that the class 7A is maybe an opportunity for them to get the best of both worlds to make the coaches happy and then also kind of separate these mega schools, you know, the Glen Park North Shores, the Allens, you know, the, the, the Coppells who's, who's massive, right? The Plano's, things like that, uh, to get them all, uh, get them into their own, um, their own kind of, kind of universe, if you will. Cause I think that one of the, one of the concerns people have is, 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 you know, look at a team like we were talking about with Hebron and Allen, right? Hebron and Allen, Allen's, uh, Allen turned in an enrollment over seven, of, over 7,000, I think 7,100. Uh, Hebron's rocking with an enrollment of 3,757. Still a pretty big school, half the size of Allen, wow. you know, half the size. And so that is, uh, that's, I think, something that they want to remedy. Uh, and they're going to find out if they, I think there's a couple things they can do, but probably in 2022, it'll be a bit more status quo. Greg Tepper, as I mentioned, all over high school football, does a great job for Dave Campbell's Texas football. Follow him on Twitter at Tepper. DT, great to see you, buddy. Thank you for joining us here this morning. Absolutely, boys. Happy holidays. All right, same to you, man. Wow, there he goes. Greg Tepper, like I said, walking encyclopedia. I mean, just the guy just knows his stuff. It's so awesome to see what he does on Valley Sports Southwest as well on Friday nights and just uh, always enjoy talking Texas high school football with him. I do want to transition now to, to college football. Uh, Chris, did something happen with TCU this week? I think they got a little bit of a big win on Saturday <laughs> against Baylor. Just, just a, like you predicted. Just like I said on the show He's last week. so modest week. about it. He's so modest about it. I was honestly shocked. Uh, I told you this before we started, but I will take it. I think it was one of the most emotional wins, regular season wins at least. Uh, okay. in modern don't, dude, don't get history. emotional here this morning. Just, come on, you know, aside from like winning the Rose Bowl or winning the Alamo, that big comeback in the Alamo Bowl, one of the most significant regular season Wait, wins. Chandler Morris beating Baylor in the regular the Rose Bowl. We're bringing the Rose Bowl. No, into I'm this? saying I'm saying aside from those bowl game victories, the emotion of it all. One of the most significant regular season wins they've had uh, in a long time. No, let me just. Chandler Morris is good. Okay, Chandler really Morris good. was awesome <laughs> at Highland Park. It was only a, Lincoln Riley thought Chandler Morris was awesome at Oklahoma. He did everything he could to block him from going to TCU. And there's a reason because he knew he was good. I mean, Chandler can play. And so what I keep thinking about is as TCU is going to play at Oklahoma State this week. We'll see what happens. If I mean, maybe he plays well, maybe he doesn't. All I know is that the combination of Chandler Morris and Zach Evans next year, that one-two punch quarterback running back deal. Um, you know, I'm just saying, KG, I'm just saying, like that some coaches might be interested in that and that offense, you know, coming in right away. I mean, there's some TCU's not an easy job, but the Big 12 is getting easier, you know, with Texas and Oklahoma leaving. And they've got some weapons. I I don't know. I think that might be an, maybe Kellen Moore is interested. Or maybe it's prime time in uh in Fort Worth. Maybe supposedly they said that they're not going that direction. So according to Mac Engel from the Star Telegram, said that they're not hiring Dion. But we'll see. I mean, I, you know, these things kind of ebb and Chad flow. Chad Morris makes a return to the college mm. college ranks. Coach's son, you know, he's got his he's got a lot going on tonight Sonny with Dykes Allen. Sunny Dykes across the way at uh, SMU. Sunny Dykes is a name maybe. that's true. Do we think TCU repeats their performance last week at number ten Oklahoma State? I do not, but I'm after last week. I'm not going to say it's impossible. Uh, You're just not going to pick him anymore. You don't even think so. <laughs> no, I think I think Oklahoma State's a little bit better than Baylor. I think Baylor has you know shown flaws this year that Oklahoma State is not. Uh, so we'll see. It's a road game, which makes a difference as well, and that's a tough place to play with the yeah. fans right on the rail, banging uh, on the railing and everything. So you know, we'll see how it goes. Those paddle things. Yeah, that, I don't you know, know what to, I don't know what to call what them. Call but, that? Yeah. Spencer Sanders playing quarterback when we're Denton Ryan quarterback. Uh, I have them written down as number 10, but I also have Baylor written down as number 10. So that just tells you what kind of frame of mind I'm in right now. So number eight, Oklahoma at number 10, Baylor this week. This is, I think, the game of the week in college football. Uh, KG, does OU, do they stay undefeated? I mean, when's the last time we saw Oklahoma ranked number eight? You know, like, but, but with a record like that, I mean, it's just, it's crazy to me that they're not like number two in the nation, you know, with this record. But 
they haven't looked great. That's, I mean, that's obvious. They haven't looked the part to this point, but do you think they stand beaten or does Baylor get them? I think this is finally the weekend that Oklahoma catches that L. Ah. Uh, Baylor coming off the loss to TCU last week. They still have an outside shot of getting to the Big 12 title game. They need a win against Oklahoma to try and keep those hopes alive. And that ground game for Baylor is something else. Oh, yeah. uh, and Oklahoma can't stop anybody. So yeah. I'm going to go with Baylor in the upset. Give me Caleb Williams. I'm, I think they win. Okay. I think I think Oklahoma stays unbeaten, and they just keep on trucking. They keep on trucking, and they're just kind of this, like, quiet story. It's kind of like how Greg, you know, was just talking high school football. Nobody's talking about Duncanville right now in high school football. Duncanville entered the year ranked number one in North Texas by just about every poll. They get destroyed by Modern Day out of Southern California, the number one team in the nation. And Modern Day's blowing everybody out, basically. They had a close game against Servite, which is their big rival in Southern California. Um, but other than that, they've killed everybody. And so, but because Duncanville lost so big, now nobody's really paying attention to them anymore because, oh, yeah, that's that team that got destroyed by Modern Day in week one. I kind of feel the same way with Oklahoma. That, but the difference is they didn't lose, you know. And right. so, so, but I feel like because they played poorly, we're just kind of going to forget them and say, well, they're not that great. I don't know. Am I crazy? Are you, you buying in here at all on this OU hype train? And they're going to pick steam up down the stretch? I don't no? know. I think if they don't lose against Baylor, I think they could lose against Oklahoma State in the Bedlam game. Wow. Especially if both – I'd love to see both of these teams keep winning and we get to that game and it is just this massive Thanksgiving week night game with just everything on the line. You know who has not lost in a while? And that is Texas A&M. Texas A&M has beaten Alabama, and I believe they're up to four wins in a row now. Uh, they are on the road taking on the fighting Lane Kiffins, you know, Ole Miss. It's number 11 against number 15. That's a nice matchup there. And A&M, Jimbo's got him playing well right now. Just keep on trucking, right? Yeah, the keys for me in this game, can Isaiah Spiller control the game in terms of the ground game for Texas A&M? Great running back, To man. keep really good player. Uh, Matt Corral off the field because Matt Corral in that offense is a juggernaut at Ole Miss. So can they keep him off the field? We'll see if they can. Yeah, Matt Corral, a potential, you know, big-time pick in the NFL draft. Mm -hmm. And kind of a weak quarterback draft. We saw two of the quarterbacks face off last night in uh, is it Kenny Pickett? You know, I haven't I haven't transitioned oh, yeah. from Pitt. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then uh, and then Sam Howell from from North Carolina, and then there's my guy from my alma mater, Liberty Malik Willis, is in that group, and then now you also have Ole Miss with Matt Corral. Nobody, uh, somebody I uh, I can't remember if it was Daniel Jeremiah, somebody in the draft who's just just a great job. So many people do so such a good job with this. They all said that last year Mac Jones would be the number one quarterback in this class based on wow. – so so that just kind of puts in perspective. He was number five last year. Uh, kind of an interesting thing to watch there. Let's finish it off here. Kansas at Texas. The losing streak has to end, Chris. It has to. It has to. I mean, let's not forget Kansas almost had Oklahoma Jeez. a couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago. They were down a couple of touchdowns, I think, or down ten in the They're not going to get my guy Sark. But KG, they're not, they're not going to get my no. guy Sark. Come on. <laughs> Texas trying to avoid their first five-game losing streak since 1956. Holy that just tells you all you need to know about Texas. And uh, they had some real issues this weekend. Bo Davis, a profanity-laced tirade that went viral uh, for Texas after they lost last week to Iowa State. Yeah, tense times. Texas has been one of the best three-quarter teams in America. You know, they've been <laughs> the, awesome. Stop the count after three quarters for Texas. I'm telling you, man, it's, it's just crazy how they have lost fourth quarters the way that they have. Let's wrap it up with our best thing of the week, the thing that we loved to see more than anything. Chris Blake, you get to go first. What was your favorite thing of the week? Since we already hit TCU beating Baylor, I'm going to stick with TCU and go with the soccer program. Big 12 regular season and conference tournament champions uh, make their sixth straight NCAA tournament appearance, and that starts tonight. You guys know. Go I'm, ahead. What's up? What's your favorite thing of the week so far? Well, you guys, I know you, I love pro wrestling. Right. Uh, WrestleMania is coming back to AT&T Stadium next year. The Undertaker was at AT&T Stadium this week uh, catching the Cowboys Broncos game. It was there again on Wednesday night with fans at AT&T Stadium. So that was pretty cool to see. My favorite thing that I saw all week is is a play that didn't even exist because it, it was a penalty. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the game on Thursday night. And big man offensive guard Robert Hunt scoring a touchdown on a screen pass that was not thrown to him. But he went and got it. And he owned the moment. And by the way, Robert Hunt, originally from Fort Worth, you know. And so, hey, good for him taking advantage Texas of the opportunity. Absolutely. It always does here on in uh, 
at NBC5. But yeah, Robert Hunt, big man, touchdown. That didn't count, but we're still going to count it anyway. That was my favorite thing of the week. That's going to do it for this week's episode of NBC5 and 105 through the fans. Big game Friday morning for Kevin Gray, Chris Blake. I'm Pat Doney. Enjoy your football weekend, everybody. We will see you once again next week for another edition of the show.